When Oprah Winfrey came to Australia, she could have picked anyone to handle her PR, but she picked Karen Eck, founder of Eck Factor, one of Australia's premier PR agencies. And the resulting campaigns generated over $190 million in media exposure. Karen's also worked with some other big brands, including Uber, Sony Pictures, Anthony Robbins, and The Wiggles. You could say she knows how to get people noticed. She's also the author of The Power of Visibility Program and now works with thought leaders to help them stand out, to get noticed, and to get paid what they're worth. Hello, I'm Benedict Schwert. I'm the founder of the Australian School of Copywriting and the head copywriting tutor at the Australian Writers' Centre. Now, if you'd like to get your copywriting business noticed, to stand out from the crowd and to find new clients, check out our short courses on how to build a freelance copywriting business and discover the tips and tricks you need to launch your business. You can do that by checking out writerscentre.com.au forward slash success. If you like this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Let's get started with Karen. Karen Eck, welcome to the podcast. Oh, Bernadette, thank you so much for having me. Karen, you are a superstar publicist. You've been around a long time, and I say that with, with you know, good intent because we've been friends for a long time, so I know I can, I can say these things to you. But you've worked with some of the best of the best, you know, Oprah Winfrey, Tony Robbins, um, Richard Branson, you know, the, the list just goes on. So talk to me about what it's like to be a publicist to the stars. Oh, you know, um, I've learned so much. And I think that when you deal with a lot of people who are in the public eye, um, it sharpens your skills as a publicist because they often uh, don't necessarily, despite what you might think, they may not necessarily want to be doing the publicity. So you've actually really got to use your sales skills to sort of convince them that what you're putting forward is of value to them. So I've just learned so much. You need to be efficient. You know, you need to know what you're doing clearly, but you need to organise your day really well in the sense that you're really getting the absolute best out of any schedule. So if you've got them for like five minutes or one minute or one hour, uh, you've got to make sure that, you know, it is, you know, every single thing that they are doing is going to turn a result for the client or for them. I think also you worked with a lot of networks with TV shows and things like that. And so I'm really interested because when what we're talking about today is about the power of visibility and how copywriters in particular can sort of put themselves out to the world. But you've, you're an expert at getting people out into the world. You're an expert at and just being efficient as well. So I just want to talk to you about this, this new world that you're in, uh, the power of visibility. It's something that, uh, you know, you, you feel passionately about. Talk to us about how this power of visibility concept came about and what it actually is. So I was actually, I went to a premiere of, um, uh, of a film uh, early last year. So this is early 2020. And, um, and I, off the back of that, I was talking to the organiser who said, look, a lot of our members really struggle in putting themselves forward. And when we say members, this is, you know, members in the screen industry. So we're talking about directors, screenwriters, uh, people who are absolutely at the top of their game. And, you know, so they have spent a good 10 years minimum, possibly 15, 20 years, uh, becoming skilled and experienced. Um, and yet they had a real problem in putting themselves forward, in promoting what they did, in showcasing their expertise. 
and they felt really awkward about doing it. They didn't want to do it in the first place. And so they, they, they found it to be a real barrier. I thought this was fascinating. And so I was actually asked to present to this, this, this group of, of screen writers, uh, people in the screen industry. Um, and so I said, look, I'd love to do that. I ended up developing a workshop. And what I realised from doing the workshop was that it was as applicable to uh, the professionals in the screen industry uh, as any professional in any industry. And that alone was a bit of a light bulb moment. I know that you've talked before um, on your podcast about light bulb moments when you think, oh, there's something in this. And, and it was definitely a moment for me. Um, and I t thoroughly enjoyed it. I, it, I enjoyed um, you know, I mean, I fundamentally in doing the work that I've done as a publicist, I enjoy shining a spotlight on someone else's extraordinary story. And that is the same today as it was when I, I started as a junior publicist. It's never really changed, you know, and I find that um, I enjoy trying to find out what's what's interesting and why other people might be engaged. Um, and, and so in talking with, uh, you know, these women in the screen industry, I realised that, you know, they... They had significant barriers and we, we, I looked at addressing some of that. Um, so the power of visibility came about, you know, initially through someone asking me, you know, can I help them? And I said, absolutely. Um, and then what's developed is really is, is a program and it is a, a short course that is uh, a masterclass and, and workshop that's held online. And it's designed to help professionals raise their profile for business success. And uh, it's now not just for individuals, but also for organisations, um, you know, to help their teams, their management teams actually create a culture of visibility. And this was my secondary light bulb moment because I realised that an individual can only go so far in an organisation. When it comes to visibility, it actually needs to be embraced uh, from a management perspective across the board. So what that means is that you've got to develop a way that people work together, a way that they lift each other up, a way that they give themselves space and permission to actually shine a light on some of the stuff that they're doing. And that sounds like it's, it's quite a big concept, actually, and I've been really interested and fascinated by some of the work I've been doing just in that culture of visibility space um, in the last three to four months. I've worked with economists, I've worked with data scientists, I've worked with uh, people in the oral um, health industry, you know, and, and you name it. It's, it's really, um, it's quite broad in its, in its application. And so what a data scientist struggles with is actually quite common with what an economist struggles with, and not just women, but also men. Um, but women in particular have, um, I think, some barriers that are specific to them being female in their industry and not just being female, but also being mid-career. And so the whole concept of the power of visibility um, came about in a focus with mid-career professionals because the graduates coming through the program, or sorry, the graduates who are sort of being un unleashed to the universe are actually quite gung-ho and enthusiastic and I can take on the world. You know, we, we know all of those wonderful gradu graduates. Bernadette, you and I might have been one or two of them. And, you know, so you, you feel Pushy. like... <laughs> you feel like that you know really you can do anything and so you then spend the next uh 10 years developing your skill getting the experience and then what happens okay so in some cases people step away from a corporate job they may decide actually I don't like this job anymore they may decide that they they need to focus on having a family or they really need to change the way that they work uh perhaps they need to look after um, a family member, um, maybe they're a, a primary carer. Um, and women do. We know this. Women step into these roles very, very quickly and sometimes they step back into these roles or sideways into these roles. So 
let me put it to you, Bernadette. If you had 20 years' experience or 15 years' experience in an industry and then you stepped away for a year and did what you needed to do in the universe because you needed to get it done and then you decided to get back into the industry, what makes you think that you no longer have that same years of experience? Why do we suddenly and why do people suddenly undervalue the experience that they have? Mm. You still are skilled and experienced. Sure, you need to maybe catch up on a few industry things, but you're bright, you're smart, you're capable. That's not going to take very long. But yet people will undervalue the experience they bring back into the workforce. So there's this sort of barrier that exists where you you know people don't want to put themselves forward they don't put up their hand they don't go for the promotion and you know we know research has has proven that women will will you know they'll wait until they're 100 percent ready to go for the gig the guys don't what is it about that so we need to actually change the way some people you know um, approach uh, their own expertise so one of the key things about the power of visibility is actually getting to recognize and appreciate the expertise that you have and so I do a lot of exercises around that and you know it, it's almost as simple as some really good questions pen paper and glass of wine or a cup of tea you know but you actually have to sit and focus and that reflection um, is fantastic people love it they kind of go, oh, yeah, I forgot about all those things I did when I was, you know, in my mid-20s or my early 30s. I've forgotten about that stuff. Maybe you were the first to do something. Maybe you, you, you initiated or led a program in a, in a corporation that was actually groundbreaking. Have you articulated it? Have you captured it? Where can I read that? Where is that in your copy? Um, you know, so, you know, often people leave it out because they don't have the value and they're not actually, they're not valuing their own expertise and they're not, um, they don't think that other people will be interested. But well, this happens a lot be. with copywriters. You know, I have a lot of women who do my courses and they have come from a background, let's call it, you know, the arts or it might be media or something like that. And then they move into copywriting and then they the perception is that they they're starting from scratch and through the coaching I'm I'm very clear to say to them you have got 30 years of doing this and I'm certain you've pretty much written something in that time you know so that you now have this experience as a copywriter even though you don't call it copywriting it actually is communication it's you know persuading with influence so from the context point of view of this podcast I think what I'm hearing is a lot of people who might be transitioning into copywriting are thinking, well, I'm starting from scratch, but I think what you're saying is, and I completely agree, is they're not. They've got a lifetime of experiences and it's about acknowledging and owning that and and uh, being comfortable putting it forward. And I think that's the thing I'd like to talk about too because a lot of the people I do coach is that they um, feel very reticent to put themselves forward, They, especially if they don't feel they've got the confidence um, or the experience. In fact, they've probably got the experience, but they haven't got the confidence. Um, what what techniques or tips would you give to say um, someone who's been in another job, moving into copywriting, to to give them the confidence to attack that with gusto? You know, with to to believe that they've got the right to be visible. You know, I I ask two questions, and the reason I ask them is that they're insightful. They're insightful for me because it gives me an opportunity to to uh, very quickly get a sense of what someone is about and what and, and what they can potentially get out of um, having a higher profile. And the first question is, you know, what does or what will a higher profile do for you professionally? You've really got to understand that. I want to come back to that question because I can give you a couple of examples how 
of, of how different um, people will say something, but actually the truth is quite different. So really being able to articulate what a higher profile will do for you professionally. And the second question, which is critical, what are the barriers that are holding you back? Now, every single person is different in this, and it doesn't matter what what um, personality type you are. It doesn't actually matter what your background. What I find is having done this now for almost 150 individuals, um, the, the feedback I get in terms of the barriers is, is consistent. So whether it's across screen industry, whether it's uh, economics, whether it, you know, it's a scientist, there's consistency in the feedback. So, for example, the barriers very largely fall into four different areas. One is lack of confidence. Uh, the second is a lack of know-how. Uh, and third is personality. So people will say, you know, I'm shy or I'm an introvert. And they use these as their actual barriers. And then there's a sense of potentially feeling overwhelmed. Now you can, rec- so a lot of your listeners may kind of, you know, relate to one of these or they may relate to all of them. And to break that down, you know, even a little bit further, when we look at, say, a lack of confidence, it's good to understand, well, what, what does that really look like for you? It might be a fear of judgment, failure, or fear of fear of looking incompetent, particularly if you're sort of new to copywriting. Um, you might feel like, oh, I'm, I'm not prepared. Maybe you're unsure, and particularly when you've got copywriters who are working in different sectors, they may not feel they've got the language um, and they need to learn that. They, they may be feeling, you know, that they have a lack of confidence in actually speaking up and asking the questions that they need to ask. Maybe they feel talked over. Maybe they feel quite isolated. And, of course, we know that if you're working completely alone, that in itself can be a barrier to motivating you. Um, And when you look at, say, a lack of know-how, that comes down to people not having the strategy and they're not having ideas. Now, one idea can spark another great idea. So that is about brainstorming. It's about getting into a zone of coming up with more things that you could potentially use and apply to building your profile. And it might be thought leadership. It might be that thought leadership skills haven't been developed. Um, and a lot of people will think, well, what have I got to talk about? Well, let's use an example before. Maybe someone's worked in the industry for 30 years and now they're segueing to copywriting. But where have they come from and what does that expertise, um, you know, give them in terms of having a voice? What do they want to say? Um, and perhaps the content uh, isn't aligned or the content, content ideas may or may not be aligned with your client or the organisation that you're, you're working in. Now, when it comes to personality, uh, we all know that 50% of the population identify as, as being introvert. That's 50%. So that means that half of the people that you meet feel quite uncomfortable in certain circumstances. So when it comes to raising your profile, does that mean that it's a barrier? It's a barrier if you don't use your personality strengths to your advantage. So that's where the barrier is. So I hear this all the time. I can't do that. Oh, my God, that's my idea of hell. You know, or if it comes to networking, I'm, you know, one drink, one lap and I'm out of here. You know, and they're planning this. You know, I feel so uncomfortable talking about myself in public. I, um, and this is always, I hear this a lot. You know, I just want to focus on doing my job. Yeah. And that's, uh... If we all did that, though, that's um, unfortunately it's only a part of the job, isn't it, the doing? And oh, it's the people who can actually yeah. harness that PR, for lack of better words, or that sense of visibility or this, the, the, this, um, 
the tools of visibility that get the job. And I know this is really frustrating for a lot of people because they go, I'm better than that. I'm better than that person. I know I can write. I know I can do this. And yet it's that little gap that prevents them from actually fulfilling their true potential and also fulfilling their true income potential. Yes. So what techniques would you give to people once they've understood what those questions are, the, whether it's lack of confidence or the overwhelm or the, um, you know, the inability to get the know-how, what, what can people do if they're sitting there thinking, I really want to enroll in this sort of networking event and attend, but they're crippling, you know, the sense of going there and talking about themselves and they actually haven't done copywriting, but they know that they could and they know that they've got these other skills that are transferable. What techniques can you recommend? Look, the first thing is uh, to definitely get your sort of one-liners worked out. So I use a what I call a bio formula. And so, I mean, your copywriters, you know, they have a big advantage and they have a bit of a disadvantage. But the big advantage is that they can write. So what I, what I like to use is a formula where I, I really break it down. So it's one line, one paragraph, 400 words. Now, Every, everyone, every professional, in my opinion, if they use this sort of formula, it means that they are able to, to sort of pull out what they need to when they need it. So if you have a one line about what you do, then, you know, and you practice that, what you want to do is, is, is practice it enough so it feels really comfortable. And then you're in a context where you simply are able to say it and maybe change it slightly to suit the environment. So if that one line and you're able to articulate what you do, if you're networking, you can actually say that. And I would, I, I definitely recommend people practice their one lines, um, whether it's at the hairdressers or whether it's, you know, um, actually at a networking conference, you've actually got to start and use that content all the time. And what you're waiting for is for someone to, to say, oh, that sounds interesting, or to physically lean in, sort of watch that body language where they're going, oh, that sounds really interesting. Tell me more about that. Now, as copywriters, you know that's gold. You know you're on the money when someone, when you pique their interest with a word or a phrase or just a line. And I would, and I would challenge your copywriters to rework and work and rework that one line until they have people leaning in or asking for more information and, and to practice it. So absolutely, the next time you go to the hairdresser, the next time anyone asks you, what do you do? This is your absolute golden opportunity to practice your one line. Don't be worried if it's not quite right. You know, change it up, let it, let it evolve. I certainly recommend people write it and put it on the fridge. And every time you go to make a cup of tea, you have a look at it and go, does that feel right? How does that feel when I say it? How does that sound? And, and absolutely change it up as you, you see fit. And, and let it be a bit of a, a brand journey. Karen, is there any tips on how to actually put the one-liner together? Make it reasonably short. Uh, so, you know, when it comes to um, starting that, I usually start with three words. So for me, I'm a uh, publicist, strategist and talent manager, and I specialise in putting exceptional individuals in the spotlight. So that's my one-liner. And sometimes I might throw in, I make people famous or I make people and their brands famous. Everyone gets that. Nice. nice. Um, so start with three words. So if I was to ask you, Bernadette, would you give me three words that would describe what you do? 
Going, no way. No way. No. But, you know, but what it does is that if you ask people, give me three words, how I am, the reason why I ask that is that those three words can be three words that you use across all of your social media. So it can be on your Instagram, it can be on your LinkedIn. If you look at my social media and certainly my LinkedIn, I use the same language. So you're underneath my name, it will have a description of what I do and I use the same information so that if I was to go to a networking event and someone says, what do you do? I, I use that same information. You know, there's a great saying that, you know, an interview is not the time for original thought. This is not the time for original thinking either. You, you really need to do the pre-thinking and copywriters, they're good with their words. So get writing and get, get your one-liners sorted. I'd also use the same formula for projects and for case studies. So if there's a case study that you want to put together and put that on your website, use this same formula, one line, one paragraph, 400 words. The reason why the one paragraph is there is it simply means that if you want to use a succinct, a succinct version of something, it's done and you're pulling it out and you're using it. Um, and the 400 words is just a lot more detail and if people need it, it's there. And, again, you're not having to do uh, more thinking. You've already done it done it already um i didn't want to mention actually that you know when it comes to copywriters there's an advantage and a disadvantage the advantage is that they're great with words but the disadvantage is that i would probably hazard a guess that most of your uh, listeners put visibility at the bottom of the list it, there's always someone else that's going to have something to write about that's more important than writing about yourself and it's like the builder's house is never built a copywriter's you know, copy is probably not written to the standard that, you know, that copywriter would even like for a client. Um, so finding the time and, and that space finder is critically important for your copywriters. And in terms of um, confidence, like let's say someone hasn't done it before, what techniques or tips mentally, you know, from a mindset point of view, would you provide so that they can maybe front up to a networking event, even though they know they haven't done it, but they've got to get their first client? So what, how, how do we bridge that gap? I do actually think it goes back to understanding what experience do you bring to the table, the expertise that you bring to the table. So one of the exercises I like to do is I, I like to get people to articulate what they're really good at. I really think about it. So I will give you an example, which I know that your audience will relate to, and that is a, uh, uh, an employee of mine actually who was extremely good at uh, really lovely, lovely writer, former journo, um, able to, um, you know, write anything. But her super skill, what she was really good at was proofreading. So she could do that all day and find it quite energising. She didn't find it tiring because it was actually something she was super good at. It was just easy for her. So if she needed to help someone, she could proofread something for them and that would be very, very easy for her. For someone else, they might find that a more arduous task. Um, so what part of the copywriting process do you absolutely love and what are your super skills? But over and above that, what, what, what is your expertise and what exactly, um, you know, are your skills? So I, I get people to write that down and that in itself is always a revelation. And they go, oh, yes. And, you know, it's a sense of appreciation. And in some cases, people have spent 20 years crafting their skill and yet they're not valuing it at all. So if you then have a moment to really think about that, you can go into that networking event and someone can say, so what do you do? Well, this is what I do, but I'm really good at this. Or this is what I do, but I absolutely have a passion for this. And even, you know, one of my clients, actually, she's a, it's a, she's a brilliant um, 
science communicator. Sorry, she's a brilliant communicator. But what we talked about was reminding her that her actual passion was science. So while she was doing all of these, she was doing all this client work, but she loved science and she'd kind of forgotten about it. It's not it's like that was her true calling. So we worked, we, we um, sort of worked her messaging so that while she was extremely good at media training and doing all of these other things, she has a passion for science. So it enabled, you know, her to kind of hone in on some of the work she really wanted to attract. And I'd certainly say for your copywriters, that's really important. Do you know the area of work you want to attract? So I know you've had sort of copywriters who specialize in the real estate space. So if that's important to understand, so you're not getting the clients that you really don't care about, you're really honing in on attracting the people um, that you do care about. So Karen, if someone was to niche, and I think that's what we're talking about here, um, what techniques or tips would you give them about getting in front of the media, for example, or getting in front of those clients? What techniques can uh, can they take on board to, to find the clients of their dreams yeah. or their, you know, their ideal client? I definitely think, look, LinkedIn is a great tool. I know that you speak a lot about LinkedIn. Um, you know, I think number one is, is make sure your LinkedIn profile is up to date. Number two is make sure that your contact details are there. It might sound like a very simple, simple thing to, to, to focus on, but you'd be surprised. There are so many people who don't have their website on their LinkedIn or a contact number. You know, you don't want to make, make it difficult for people to find you and that it's giving people the information that they need. Um, have an up-to-date image, um, have, some, have a cover banner that reflects your branding um, and, uh, and definitely showcase your expertise or your passion areas um, as, as sort of specifically as you can. Now, your website's really important. So, you know, you're a copywriter, get your website up to date. You know, I really, the power of visibility really does remind people that they need to find the time to focus on their brand and do it. Just stop making excuses. You've got to find the time in your diary. So with your website, um, you know, make sure that it's, that it is, of course, speaking to your specialization. If you've got some niche areas, don't make it difficult for people to find out the sorts of areas that you love to write about. Um, and having examples of what people um, you know, can, you know, if they can, if it gives them a sense of your style, you know, again, don't make it difficult for people to, to understand how brilliant you are. There's lots of ideas there, Karen. I just want to unpick them a little bit just to shed some light because they're so true. Uh, just with the LinkedIn about putting your contact details on there, I had someone ring me on the mobile, which is really unusual these days, isn't it? People actually ring each other, but he was looking uh, to hire me as a podcast guest. And he said, I can't believe I got you. He said, no one answers their phone anymore. It's like, wow, right? So that was point one. First, I had my contact details on there. But secondly, I answered the phone. So I'm, I'm a kind of old school. I do like to answer my phone. But it was instantly we were able to get the gist of what the podcast was, who the audience, we booked it in, done deal, right? So it was really easy. And he really appreciated the fact that I was accessible. So I guess that's point one. And point two about the, um, the examples on your website, because what happens for a lot of uh, students who are either in the course or who are maybe moving into the copywriting world, they don't believe they've got anything to show. And what I actually say to the students who, who do my courses is you've created material as part of the course. And in fact, one woman who I helped her build a website just recently with a, an entrepreneur that I work with, he's a web developer, she hadn't had any prior experience as a copywriter, but we took the work that she did in the course. It's like a little headline, a little bit of body copy. You put that into Canva. And within literally 10 minutes, it became an amazing portfolio piece, two-page A4 flyer. 
And she'd already written stuff. So it wasn't like she had to re reinvent the wheel. She already had it. And we created three pieces from scratch for her. And they looked amazing. You know, Canva is the best tool ever. So I think if you think creatively and you think you, you know, and that was because she had the website being built. If she hadn't built the website, she didn't really feel the need to gather the portfolio material. So the website, I do agree, is critical. It's almost like this energy gets released. That, okay, you're putting yourself out there. You say, I own this. This is me. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm serious now. And not only that, but it works 24-7 so people can find you. So it sounds really, really basic to say get a website. But there is a, an enormous reticence amongst the, the people that I work with and copywriters because they go... I don't feel ready. It's like, well, you need to do it before you're ready, you know. So it's like Reid Hoffman, I think, I think said, who founded LinkedIn, you know, if the if you launched with your website and you're happy with it, you've launched too late. You know, you've got to put something out there and just live with it. And sometimes a holding page is fine. Like I, I would absolutely agree with you. You're better to have something that says I exist because one of the things I do is, I mean, I definitely... I definitely stalk people on LinkedIn, by the way. I definitely check people out on LinkedIn all the time. I find people on LinkedIn. I hire people on LinkedIn. I also search websites. I definitely do that. I want to get a sense of who they are, and a website can say, they can definitely say a lot. Um, and even if it's a holding page, it could be the colours. It can just be a one line. It can just be, um, you know, you've got to have something. And you know, definitely, uh, my personal philosophy is do it, and you know, and then make it perfect. You don't need to wait for it to be perfect. It's usually absolutely too late by that stage. You're better to get in there and own, for example, if there's a particular area of copywriting that you really want to get in and just be a part of, get in and be a part of it um, and tell people that's what you do. Um, so, I, so I agree that the website can be very, very handy. I think when it comes to social media, something I certainly recommend is that, is that you don't need to be everywhere. And a lot of people feel a bit paralysed by, it's almost like the, um, and you know, um, analysis paralysis. They feel like, oh my god, I, I I need to be everywhere, so I I'm nowhere. And you know, rather than really picking the platforms that are most suitable, and it really depends on what you're doing and who you're reaching and your your sort of niche areas as to whether or not that's relevant or not. So for some people, and they may some people may love Facebook. I personally am not a big Facebook fan. This is just me personally. I'm not on it a lot, although I have used it for business. I love LinkedIn, so I tend to use LinkedIn more. I do love Instagram for anything that is just visually wonderful. And, you know, if you look at some brands using Instagram, I think from a copywriting perspective, brilliantly, there's a, a young podcast or a podcast for uh, that, that's organised and, and run by young Australians called The Daily Oz. Have a look at, their, at what they do. It's incredible. They're using Instagram and they're using the most brilliant copywriting lines for news to tell the news of the day. It's utterly different to anything that is that is targeting an adult audience. And they're awesome. so clever in the way that they've actually used this, this platform for their audience and they're speaking in a way that their audience completely gets. Uh, so every slide that they have on Instagram, which clicks through to more information, is essentially a number of words and it's the news of the day. So it's super clever. I definitely check that out. Karen, in terms of your background as a publicist, you've been pitching and you've been pitched too. You know a lot about how to pitch and how to get in front of the media. So I say to my students a lot that it's really worthwhile, not so much pitching your ideas, but getting your content on other people's websites like guest blogs 
and using that content as a way of driving traffic back to your website, getting some SEO ranking, et cetera, and building partnerships. So what, what tips could you give to someone listening who needs to maybe uh, pitch a blog to an association or, um, a, you know, a magazine or something like that? Because you've been, as I said, the picture, but you've also received tons and tons of pictures. Oh, yeah. And I think, you know, ideas. So when I think of, when I think of pitching, I think of what are the headlines? So the number one thing I would do is get a piece of paper and a pen and I'd sit down and go, right, what are the interesting headlines around this particular subject matter? So if they're writing, uh, first of all, what do, you, what do you want to say? What, what is it that you feel the audience could benefit knowing? And then just come up with these great one-liners. And, again, until you write it, you, you don't know until you've got pen down on paper and it starts to flow and you go, oh, that's a great idea. Oh, what about this? That's a good idea. And, look, listicles are really popular. So, you know, you know, 10 of this or seven of that and seven ways to do this or, you know, media tend to or blogs love, love that sort of content because it's easy to read, it's sort of digestible, and it actually helps you to hone what you think and, 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 gets, and really does get you to articulate uh, your knowledge and this is what we're asking your copywriters to do is to sort of say, share your knowledge. Tell me what I need to know. And, you know, if it was a, a conference, you know how conferences have, have sessions? It's like if this was on a program, which one would I go into? What is the best heading you can possibly give your, your potential story? Most journalists or anyone who's on the receiving end of that, they're making the decision as to whether or not uh, this is useful to them pretty much within about, I think, five or six seconds, in my opinion. I think it's a heading. Um, and I've just, you know, recently just was pitched a story and, you know, I, you know, it happened to be almost the same topic heading as what the journalist was researching. So when he read my pitch, it was bingo, like right in the door because it was like, well, yes, I'm actually doing that story. You know, how did I know that? Uh, I had a little bit of a clue, but I had to frame it and I thought what would, what would they, uh, what would, how would they write it? And, you know, and I framed it in a way that would, would sort of automatically resonate. But when it comes to brainstorming, I was going to say that when it comes to brainstorming, um, you know, definitely content is queen, you know, but um, in terms of ideas, I definitely think, you know, you know, you can look at, there are lots of different ways of slicing the publicity pie. So you can take one angle and actually divvy it up and say, right, I can deliver that message this way on my, as, as a story on my website. I can then share it on my LinkedIn. I can maybe write an article on this topic and offer it to, you know, a publication. But before you pitch anything, you really do need to, you know, understand, you know, that publication. It sounds basic, but you'd be so surprised how many people they're not, they're not really familiar with the type of content that they like to run. So if you're pitching something and you haven't read that content or really familiar with it or heard that radio interview or, sorry, that segment, uh, you're wasting your own time and you're wasting everyone else's. So in terms of knowing the, the publication, um, what do you recommend in terms of the mechanics of actually getting the pitch to them? Is it an email? Is it in the subject header? Is it in the body copy? Uh, you know, what, what, what techniques do you recommend for actually getting cut through to yeah. that journalist? Number one, I would start with the topic list. So really have a number of topics under your, your belt. I would email. Now, unfortunately, I mean, I personally prefer a phone call. I'd love to make the phone call. If I can possibly get someone on the phone, I would, I would always try that. But these days it is, as you said earlier, people are not answering their phones. 
Um, you know, long gone are the days where journalists would be sitting by the phone waiting for a breaking news story. It just simply doesn't happen anymore. And they prefer, unfortunately, to correspond by email. Uh, that makes it a bit more challenging because I feel like you've got to make the pitch quite, per- it's got to be almost perfect to begin with. Um, and sometimes you don't know that until you get a sense of what they might be looking for. Uh, having said that, you can only just try. But what I would always do is have an opportunity to sort of cover other ideas in the same email. So you might say, you know, would you be interested in this sort of topic on, on uh, you know, covering these sorts of aspects? I, don't, I wouldn't send them the story necessarily. I would just say this is the topic. This is what I cover. Um, you know, give them a sense that you're available to deliver the copy within a certain time frame. That it is also they would need to know whether or not they're you're you're expecting to be paid or whether this is a free of uh, of charge copy of their FOC, meaning that they're just running it and you're not getting anything except the potential publicity. Um, and then I would always in the email provide a few alternatives. So here are some other ideas because you just don't know sometimes whether they're looking for something and then bang, they'll go, oh, that other idea is absolutely spot on. Um, and you could certainly attach a sample of your writing or if you actually have done that particular piece of writing, attach it um, and make sure it's not too long. I mean, understand what they typically tend to print or publish uh, might be 500 words, 600 words, 800 words. Uh, don't give them a 3,000-word essay. You know, it's like that's not going to cut it. Um, you know, 200 words is going to be too short. So maybe that middle ground of 500, 600 words is a really nice um, sort of length um, and make it super easy for them to say yes. And in the subject line, what what do you recommend goes in there? Because that, that's the thing that's going to capture their attention. Yeah, I would probably... Uh, make sure that my one-liner is captured in some way. Um, so you're really, you know, for me personally, it might be, you know, potential story um, or story opportunity, something simple like that, story op, and then your teaser, make it something absolutely like, wow, that sounds interesting. And um, and that's all I put. I, I really, and then to be really honest, because, you know, if you don't get a response to start with, sometimes you just need to resend it. And there's a couple of reasons why they don't respond. Number one, when, when they get it, they're not in the right frame of mind. And so then it just goes down the chain of, of emails that they'll never, ever get to. Number two, it might actually go in spam. Or in, in, and it's, don't be, you know, it's just the way it is. If they've never received an email from you, their system may block it. Um, and they may not be interested and they may just simply ignore it and unfortunately that's a reality but what I would do is give it a give it at least a week unless it's time sensitive give them Sounds potentially good. a deadline to respond so if there is a time sensitive issue you may need to say I'm offering this to you first um, uh, however if you are not interested please let me know and I will offer it elsewhere and that gives it a little sense of urgency. And you could say, I do need to know by tomorrow afternoon because otherwise I will need to offer it elsewhere because this is a time-sensitive opportunity. Say there's something. Work, do you think? Yeah, it does. does. It yeah. does. I think that, the, you know, it depends on the journalist that you're dealing with, but the good journalists respond. To be really honest, some journalists are old school and they'll get back to you and they'll simply say in one line, not interested, thanks, or will pass, thanks. I always uh, respect that. I don't go back and go, but, 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 you know, but what about me? Because they're not interested and you just simply say thank you and you move on and you offer it elsewhere. 
But there are definitely journalists who who just ignore it and they won't, you know, they won't respond. And, um, you know, however, if you have a personal relationship with someone, they tend not to ignore you and not come back at all. And this is where the relationship building um, element of your work is super important. So I would definitely encourage your copywriters to build relationships where you're not selling anything at all. You need, if you can go somewhere and meet an editor somewhere and just say, hey, hi, love what you do, you know, you don't need to brown nose. If you genuinely like their, their, their publication, say it. Uh, absolutely do not say you love it if you've never seen it. That's just embarrassing. And it's, it's always obvious. And, you know, I would definitely, um, you know, give people your contact details to say, look, I'd love to, to stay in touch. I do write um, this sort of uh, copy for this sort of client from, from time to time. If you, if you need a hand, I'd love to help you out um, or for a publication, for example. And sometimes they'll go, great, actually, we're looking for some things. And then always follow up. Now, I know that sounds like a very basic thing to do, but you would be amazed and surprised how many people never follow through with that sort of secondary communication. Uh, it's even, you know, potential employees. And I'll say, please keep in touch. I love what you do. I think you're really amazing, but I never hear from them ever again. And possession is nine-tenths of the law. If you are there and if they are thinking about you, you might get that phone call. And that's what the power of visibility is about because it's about ensuring that if someone is going to think of um, your area, your niche, and they need your skills, they're going to think about you. You know, if you're not visible, they're not thinking about you. It's not, don't be offended. It's just that you're not on their radar. Well, it's a bit like you're shopping and the can of chickpeas is not on the shelf. And you think, well, I'll get the lentils, right? Even though you could ask for the chickpeas, but they're in the back, right? Let me just check out the back. <laughs> That's never going to happen. Great analogy. Not that we're, you know, reduced down to cans of beans. But just one thing you just picked up on before we finish, Karen, um, just on, because I get this a lot with, with students who are wanting to reach out to write copy for others, you know, for free, just to build a relationship, to get the traffic coming back to their site, or even for pay is getting clarity about what you actually want that blog to do. Mm. Because some people say, oh, I'm interested in skiing. I'm going to write about skiing. I'm interested in children. I want to write about parenting. It's like, that's good, but that's not going to help you build your copywriting business. So write about the business of parenting, you know, the, helping a childcare centre help their parents be better parents or helping a ski shop understand how they can market more effectively to their skiing customers. So that's one thing I just come up across a lot is just getting really clear if you're going to write copy, make it work, have an intention behind it so that it gets you the work that you, you want, not just having content out there for the sake of it. Great, great, great point. And actually it leads to one of the things that I am, oh, I, I really focus on this a lot. Whatever you are doing, you have to ask yourself, what is the call to action? So I'll give you an example. If I'm, if I'm organising a television interview, then I need to know where I'm sending the audience. Where exactly are they going once they watch this TV segment? So are they going to a particular website? Is the strip along the bottom that says, you know, that who the person is, can I have the name of the website there? Can I have my www there? Can it be blatant? Now, in some cases... Um, a television network will put something like that. In some cases, I'll say, look, we can't do that, but we'll drive people to our website, which is a tactic of their own to build traffic, uh, and we'll put all of your details there. Okay, so when they get there, what happens? 
is where are we driving people and what's our intention for this particular piece of publicity? Is it to get people to register? So is it to, is it to get people to go to the website to register for something? Is it to buy a ticket? Is it easy to buy the ticket? Is it working? Is the link working? So, so I have been at 6 o'clock in the morning when a live television interview is happening from LA, actually with Tony Robbins, and I am online and I'm testing the link that the network has put on their website and it's not working. And I'm on the phone to the producer saying, you have to fix this now, like straight away. And they're, on, they're communicating with their IT saying, we've fixed the link, we've fixed the link, because my client is actually on a computer watching the data screen to see whether my interview is producing sales. Talk about pressure. So as Tony Robbins is being interviewed, my client is expecting sales. We did get sales and they went through the roof. But that's what the intended outcome was. We needed people to go somewhere to buy a ticket. So you need to ask yourself, what's the intention of that blog article? So if you're giving someone copy, you must say in communication, on an, in an email to confirm, confirming I'll be able to give you 400 words by this date to be published on this date and this is how I would like to be introduced and the tag at the bottom of the story will read this. You need to give them that language. Do not expect that they're writing it for you. You have to give it to them. So, for example, it'll be, you know, um, you know, Karen Eck is the founder of this and you can find out more information here. So that way it's promoting directly your business. Otherwise, why do it? Yeah. It's a bit like when I speak, I always write my own introduction and then I give that to the MC and I say, please read as written. Do not make it up. <laughs> do not add to it or delete unless you really have to and check in with me because what's happened is it's about framing, isn't it? You want to be presented and be you know, positioned correctly. And if you don't do that, others won't or they'll do it incorrectly. And it can, for me, it's happened where people have actually rejigged this, the introductory notes and it's completely irrelevant to what I'm about to speak about. And it completely undermines the whole event. So yeah, I've really learned that is write your own. And it's not being um, pushy or it's not being egotistical is actually serving the audience because they need to know why that speaker is there and they need to know what the, the point of it is, what is the benefit to them, and only that speaker can really write that effectively. Definitely, definitely. And so when, when I think of copywriters, oh, there's so many ideas. Like, you know, copywriters being the wordsmiths, they could really, you know, um, you know, drill down so much great content that just relates to their specific area and it could be what words mean. Like I literally think of, you know, that they're at the forefront of understanding what, uh, you know, what specific words actually mean to an audience. And think about that as a concept. I mean, I'm, I'm throwing that out there. It's just a bone to, your, to listeners to say, okay, well, if you're writing about a particular area, what words did you need to learn? And what might the audience find really interesting? Do they understand the true meaning of some of the words that are relevant to your particular niche area? Maybe not. You know, and maybe it's a way of communicating all about that. See, I could actually go down a few rabbit holes about those sorts of ideas. This comes down to how to brainstorm some of the PR and, and sort of publicity ideas that are really relevant to your area. And there's, there's, there's so much opportunity. And, and I would say to, to listeners, you know, you know, number one, really believe in yourself. Um, back yourself. You know, I, I do say there are three killer mistakes, Bernadette, and the first one is you think that your work speaks for itself. It doesn't. To yours, use your beautiful supermarket analogy. I, I adore that. The second is that you must be, you know, people are not brand ready. 
So what I mean by that is they actually are not, they don't have their bio where it needs to be. They don't have even a headshot. They don't have the right kind of images they can use on their website. They don't have case studies. They're not ready. And yet they think that they are. And the third is, you know, that they are so overwhelmed that they do nothing at all. So the, the list of things feels so overwhelming that it's really challenging and difficult to move forward. So for those people, you need to break it down. Just do one thing a day. You know, you talk about tactics and ideas. I, I recommend, you know, if you can focus on 10 minutes of just sitting for a minute and just thinking, okay, what can I do today to build my visibility? How can I lift my visibility and, and, and what can be helpful? Even just 10 minutes, it's the cumulative effect is, you know, is quite powerful. Karen, you are an absolute legend in the industry of both PR and visibility and helping women and everybody, but in particular women, really own their power and showcase their, their talents so that they get the work that they deserve and all those years of experience count for something. So thank you for being my guest today. Well, thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. In my experience, it's the people who have the least confidence who sometimes have the most talent. So imagine how powerful you'd be if you could combine your inherent ability with the confidence to talk about it. You'd be unstoppable. If you'd like to get more confident about what you do, then find out how other copywriters are marketing themselves by joining Copy Club, Australia's most innovative and dynamic community for copywriters. With Copy Club, you can find your tribe, access our incredible video series, and unlock a host of templates that will give you the confidence you need to take your copywriting business to the next level. To find out more, check out copyclub.com.au. My joke of the day, because I know you're waiting for it. If you see a crime at an Apple store, does that make you an eyewitness? And my quote of the day from Jim Rohn, who's one of my all-time favourites, and he said, formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. That's all from me. All the best and bye-bye.